You're listening to Cash Talk, episode number five. different. It's just me this week. But I had the opportunity to sit down with a local real estate broker and ask a ton of questions. Um, Some of the things that we went over was how do you know when you should buy a house? Who pays for a realtor? How much money does it take to actually purchase a home? Whether you should buy a foreclosure or a fixer-upper? What kind of things can derail the purchase? And what kind of things you should be looking for when you're buying yourself? That just scratches the surface. Anything real estate, I bet you we probably covered it in today's show. So I'm going to go ahead and cut right to the chase and get today's guest on the show. So let's talk real estate today. I have Jessica Kershaw with Close to Home Realty Group. She's a real estate broker here in Knoxville, Tennessee, been practicing real estate for over five years now, and she's opening up her own firm that she owns with her mother. She has an interior design degree and has sold millions of dollars of real estate in her lifetime. Anything I've missed, Jessica? No, I think that about covers it. Well, let's hop on into it. Um, Okay. These questions are the questions that me and Missy have come up with or that somebody has suggested by emailing cashtalkpodcast at gmail.com. The first question we'll begin with is, what are some common myths about real estate? Okay. So I would say the most common myth about real estate is that you have to have a huge down payment. We have so many programs now. We have some that are free. We have some that offer small down payments, like $1,000. We have some that offer 3% of your purchase price. There are all kinds of programs out there. So I think that's probably the biggest misconception about real estate. Okay, so some of the loans that we have um, for our first-time home buyers, basically the government will offer you either a percentage of your closing cost or your down payment. And all you need to do is go take a class and learn about finances and how to be a homeowner and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've also got conventional loans, which are better for our people with a lot of money. So if you do have a lot of money, this is for you. You can get a lower interest rate. Um, They close very quickly, and they're just overall pretty easy. Uh, We have a USDA loan, which is based on the area you're living in. So uh, more rural areas, such as like Powell and Clinton, usually qualify for this. So if you're kind of looking for more land, uh, that one is for you. Again, no money down. Um, And then we just have a regular FHA loan, which is a government loan, um, but it doesn't have a lot of money down. So maybe 3%, maybe 5%, maybe 1%. Completely depends on what your loan officer says. And I'm definitely not a loan officer, so I would 100% advise you talk to a loan officer. Um, and we, we also have a VA loan. I don't know if I mentioned that. That's for veterans. Uh, no money down. It has a lot of perks. Uh, you get a percentage of your closing costs paid. You get your termite treatment paid. So mm-hmm. a lot of perks with that. Uh, I know when it comes to conventional loans, just as an add-in from my experience, those are typically the ones like the ones you get from your financial institution, your bank or credit union that you use regularly. They require anywhere from 10 to 20% down. And when we say percent down, that's of the purchase price of the home. So if you're buying a $100,000 home, 10000 or $20,000, something like that down. How would somebody know if they should buy or rent? Well, the first thing I always tell people is to call a loan officer. Call several loan officers. Tell them your history. They'll be able to pull up your credit history. They'll be able to see what your issues are. They'll tell you right there, hey, you need to fix X, Y, and Z to get this going. Or you might surprise yourself. You might be ready to go and have no idea. Um, That happens to a good percentage of our buyers is they think, oh, my credit is just destroyed. They call a few loan officers and find out they're ready to go. So... Okay. Well, buying or renting, well, what's the deal? What do you what do you suggest? What sounds better? Okay. Um, I'm all for short-term rentals. Um, if you are maybe moving into a place, you need to rent an apartment for a couple of months, or you know, you've just graduated, you're out on your own, you're trying to save some money, that's great. But long-term, you are paying someone else's mortgage. 
And why pay somebody else's mortgage when you can just throw that same money into your own mortgage? So long-term, not for rentals. Short-term, absolutely. Everyone has to start somewhere. Well, I know for myself, when I started looking, I kind of started at open houses first, seeing what was out there before I found a realtor and said, hey, I want to move forward and look at houses day to day. What do you suggest? Should somebody get in touch with a realtor first when they think they want to buy, or what's the process from beginning to end? Absolutely. Um, Your realtor is here to walk you through this step by step. So if you have an awesome realtor, what they're going to do is say, hey, we need to get in touch with a loan officer ASAP. Because as a realtor, I do not want to show you a house you cannot afford. So I want to know from day one that your max is, let's say, 200 I do not want to show you something 250 You can't afford that. I don't want to push you guys on your mortgage every month. So the first most important step is to talk to a loan officer, make sure that you're pre-approved, and make sure that we keep you in budget. Gotcha. Okay. Well, when it comes to the realtor, who pays for the realtor exactly? Okay, so this is the great part for all you buyers. The seller pays for the realtor. Real estate services are 100% free to buyers. Now, sellers, you do have to pay us. In fact, they pay both (laughs) realtors. But that's that's kind of the price for a... Yeah, that's the cost of doing business. That's the cost of doing business. That's right. How much is a realtor for a seller if you're looking at selling a home? So... Actually, every realtor is completely different. Um, Tennessee doesn't have any state laws regarding percentage. What I would say is everything's negotiable. If your realtor throws out a number and you don't think it's going to work for you, talk to them and see what they can do about it. Okay, gotcha. When it comes to closing costs, what exactly are those and how much are they? Okay, so your closing costs, what these are, these are your loan origination fees, your title company fees, your title searches, things like that. These are the things that the people behind the scenes are getting paid for. So a lot of people think that it's just two realtors and two clients, and that's not true. We have probably 20 people that are in the middle of helping us. So you have your appraisers and your underwriters and all that. So your closing costs are how those people get paid. So um, I always suggest, I always try and get closing costs for my buyer because otherwise it's usually about 6% of the purchase price and you're going to have to bring that to the table. Mm -hmm. So most realtors will know to ask for that up front, get that negotiated. That way you're not bringing any more money than you have to. Right. And that's 6% on top of the down payment you're making off of your mortgage. Exactly. additional cost. Well, let's say you have started looking, you found a house that you like, you want to put in an offer, what's the process from there to getting the keys? Okay, so it's pretty simple. Um, What you're going to do is you're going to, first of all, get an awesome realtor. I mean, you know, (laughs) call me if you want. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, What you want to do is you want to put that contract in and get that negotiated. Then after that, your realtor is going to ask you for some earnest money. Now, what this is, is this puts the house in essentially layaway. It tells the seller that you're serious. It takes it off the market so they cannot accept other bids once they've accepted this check. So your earnest money is negotiable. Typically, it's $500. That's that's pretty common. Um, after that, we've got 10 days to do our inspections. And those include home inspections, termite inspections. Let's say you thought the roof looked a little funny. We might get a roof inspector out there. Maybe the dishwasher wasn't running. We might get, um, you know, a repairman out there. Um, Anybody that you want to bring out there for 10 days, we need to get that done. Then basically we negotiate those repairs and, um, after that, it mostly goes to your loan officer. So then your loan officer kind of takes the case when we say, hey, we're good with this. We want to move forward with this house. They take the case. They start working on your loan. And then the next step is getting the appraiser out there. And um, once we get the appraiser out and he passes the house, close it and we're done. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. There's a law, isn't it? I believe if the house was built before 1978, lead-based paint. What exactly is that whole thing about? So lead-based paint is pretty easy to identify, but again, not a lead-based paint expert. So, (laughs) uh, you know, a lot of disclaimers here. So usually you will find lead-based paint in a tic-tac-toe type pattern. Um, 
basically back in the day they just put lead in their paint and it is harmful if you eat it so we do not advise you eat the paint uh we advise you to get it tested (laughs) we will give you a pamphlet saying that you have been told this information in fact lowe's and home depot sell these little lead paint tester kits and you can absolutely do that or you can get an actual lead paint inspector so right and if the house was built after 1978 that doesn't apply usually. It doesn't usually apply, but, you know, honestly, the further you dig down, there's probably going to be some lead paint. So even if the house was built in the 80s, there could be a chance that someone bought the, the paint in 1978 and just left it in their garage until 1980 and then painted it. So Valid point. basically okay. the biggest tip is do not eat paint chips. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the takeaway from today. Do not eat paint chips. All right. So this one's a popular question. I know I've been asked a few dozen times. Um, let's say I watch a lot of DIY shows like the Property Brothers. Me and the Property Brothers got a thing. They just don't know it. <laughs> they buy a lot of fixer-upper homes and put the work into it, and you get a nice house that's in a good neighborhood that's usually pretty cheap. What exactly, if I want to do that myself, what things are easy to tackle and what things might be a bigger headache than I'm realizing since I don't own a house yet? Okay. So let me say first – Keep in mind, it is TV. There is a lot of fluffing. Yeah, a lot of glamour. So the number one thing that you probably want to look for is you typically want to buy the cheapest house in the nicest neighborhood, not necessarily the nicest house in the cheapest neighborhood. That way, first of all, you're going to go ahead and get your money back, obviously. You know, you buy the little tiny dinky house in the million-dollar neighborhood, fix it up. You're going to get some money back. You have the million dollar house when it's fixed. Absolutely. So, things that are super easy to do are, you know, changing out fixtures, doing paint, um, ripping up carpet, things like that. Things you want to leave to the professionals are your electric, your plumbing, your roofing, your HVAC. I know this for a fact. I blew up an air conditioner trying to change the (laughs) thermostat. So um, that was $5,000 lesson that I learned. Uh, Didn't need to be learned. So be choosy about what you do. Mm -hmm. During the property search, when you're out there, you know, going to open houses and visiting places with your realtor, what should you be looking for as a buyer? Okay. So the most important things to look for as a buyer. Here are the things. You cannot change your yard size. You cannot change your neighbors. You can't change your school zones. So if any of those things are important to you, you need to focus on those. If your neighbor is running an 18-wheeler business beside you at 4 a.m. in the morning and you're not into that, probably need to skip it even if it does have granite. So your number one thing is location, location, location. And I know they always say it, but it really is true. It is the truth. Okay. I don't want to overpay. What tips could I do to make sure I don't overpay in a seller's market? And what exactly is a seller's market also, for those who may not know? Okay, this is kind of a tricky one. Um, We are currently in a seller's market, and I'll give you an example. Last year, I had 17,000 houses for sale in Tennessee. I could choose any of those houses. This year, for about eight months, I've had 7,000 houses. So we're minus 10,000 houses. So basically, we have um, too much demand and not enough supply. So there are tons of buyers. They're all competing. So what I would say to you on how to deal with this in a seller's market, the best advice is to usually roll your closing cost on top of your purchase price. So let's say you find a house you're in love with and the price is $130,000. We've already talked about our closing costs being about 6%. So let's say that's about $6,000. So to make your offer very strong, what you need to do is offer them one thirty six, and then put in your offer that they reimburse you the $6,000 later. So um, basically, you would ask them to pay for that $6,000, even though you're kind of already paying for it. Right, okay. So you're unfortunately, you are going up above purchase price, but we need those closing costs. And if you start at one thirty and ask them for your $6,000 closing costs, they're really walking away with 124 mm-hmm. plus so their own you, realtor fees exactly plus all their fees and they also have to do closing costs as well so when you start at 130 and you go to 136 you're giving them their bottom dollar of 130 because they're just going to reimburse you those closing costs through their loan basically mm-hmm. so let's say that you're out there shopping you find a house that you like you put in an offer you think it's a strong offer and 
you get outbid. And maybe that's happened once or twice or a few times, and it, you're just tired of it, you're ready to find a house and move forward. What tips do you have for somebody who's in that situation? So, obviously, I'm assuming that there's some sort of pattern. Either you're wanting to offer a certain amount less, or maybe you're asking for a lot of repairs, or you know, maybe there's some objections that, that keep coming up for you. So, what I would say is talk with your realtor. Um, figure out a game plan to see what is stopping all these offers. Um, it could be that your financing is not as good as someone else's, which means you need to go a little better on your offer. You know, a lot of times government loans are more stressful. Um, they take a little bit longer because you get the benefits of usually not having a big down payment or any down payment. So it could be that a lot of times if someone has a conventional loan that's lower priced, even though you went a little higher priced, your loan might also be kind of making them scared. Yeah, so, it may not be able to close as fast or something. Exactly. So it's kind of just a case-by-case situation. I would just sit down and talk with somebody and see if they can figure out what are the common denominators for why your offers are getting rejected. Um, okay. That's it. What kind of tips do you have uh, for somebody when they're putting in an offer, something to make a strong offer without putting too much money on the line? A really good tip. Uh, If you're absolutely serious, you can put in $1,000 earnest money if you have money like that. Um, That shows the seller that you're serious because if something happens, a lot of times the sellers get to keep the earnest money. There are a lot of cases where the buyer can walk away with that earnest money, and there's some cases where the seller can walk away with that earnest money, but it's a risk either way. So I think that's a great thing. Also, a lot of times if you write them a personal letter and just say, hey, I went to your open house and this house just feels like home for me. I can imagine my family being here. You know, that might also be the key to to getting your house. So you mentioned earnest money. That's money that... um. It comes off the cost of the house at the end of the day, right? Like, what, what happens with that money? Exactly. Okay, so this is what happens with your earnest money. Basically, um, we give this money to your loan officer, and they will decide how to use this. So the options for that are, if you're buying a house that's $100,000, um, your loan officer can take that off the purchase price, so you would actually only pay ninety nine five. Or let's say, you know, they need your money for the appraisal. Let's say you're a few hundred dollars short on closing cost. They will use that. In fact, a lot of loan officers, if they don't need it, they will reimburse that to you at closing. Mm-hmm. So basically, your $500 is going to go to good use. And um, if they can't find anything to use with it, which they will, I mean, they can even buy points on your loan or in lower I mean, interest rate. and lower your interest rate. There's all kinds of stuff they can do with that. Gotcha. So the earnest money is to benefit you. And it's a case-by-case basis. They will figure out what best serves you. Mm-hmm. So earnest money, what other out-of-pocket expenses are there between the day you put the offer in and the day that you close on the house? Okay, so you have some required expenses, which are an appraisal, which is basically where the loan company sends someone out, and they need to make sure that this house is worth what you're paying. So let's say you're in love with a $200,000 house. If the appraiser comes out and says, hey, I'm sorry, this is only worth one fifty, then your loan officer can only loan you 150000 which means the sellers are either going to have to come down or you need to bring $50,000 to the closing table. If you want the house that badly. Exactly. There's not a lot of wiggle room. So your appraiser price is usually between four and $500. You'll need $500 for your earnest money. Your home inspection is optional, but definitely suggested. Um, those range between three and $500. Your termite inspection for most loans are optional, but it's only $50. And if we find there are termites, we can ask the seller to take care of that. So for $50, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, so you're usually looking at about 1500 upfront. Mm-hmm. So this doesn't include your down payment. Um, so if you do have to do a down payment, you do need to include that as well. But like I said, there's a ton of programs that have little or no money down. So so you mentioned uh, you suggest a home inspection. Why would you suggest one? Absolutely suggest a home inspection. And this is why. No matter how many people you no matter how many uncles and dads and moms you bring to the house to look at this and say, oh, this looks great, 
they're not licensed professionals. They can't tell you if your wiring is bad. They can't usually tell you if your roof is sagging. Um, these home inspectors go to school for over eight years to be able to do this. So this is absolutely something that you want to pay a little bit of money up front to make sure that you're making a good investment. You would not typically just go buy a car and drive it off the lot. I mean, I think most people, when they're buying a used car, ask if they can take it to their mechanic first. Mm-hmm. So at least open the hood. At exactly. It Look around, bring some money. So this is a very similar thing. You just want a professional to come look at this and tell you that you're making a good investment. We've had a lot of people that ended up walking away from houses, um, Adrian included, yeah, did. when his home inspector was upstairs running the dishwasher and the termite inspector was in the crawl space getting wet. So <laughs> That's something that, I mean, when I was looking at that house, I did pull my offer away and we walked away because of that and a few other issues that were another story. But that's something that I wouldn't have found out because I was standing upstairs with the home inspector. And if the home inspector wasn't there, I wouldn't have ever known. But the thing is, yes, Adrian lost his $400, but he did not lose Mm $135,000. So it's worth it. Buying a house is an exciting thing and everybody wants to be helpful. Your loved ones, they want to look out for you and see if they can offer their assistance and guide you in the right way. But they may not do these things every single day. They don't mess with homes every day and know what to look for in a variety of homes and sizes and material and whatnot. So somebody who's doing this for a living is just generally going to be more experienced. And the home inspectors are up to date on all city codes. So there might be some things in your house that are grandfathered in that really aren't an issue. And there might be some things that are an absolute, you need to fix this today. This is a fire hazard, you know. There are a lot of things that a home inspector will know that the common person is not going to know. Mm-hmm. So I'm out driving around a neighborhood and I see a house for sale and it looks pretty interesting. Maybe I grab a flyer from the front and want to check it out. What happens next? Should I call my realtor or what should I do? Okay, so this is a very common misconception. A lot of people drive up to this house and they see it's for sale by John at ABC Realty. Okay. So you do not want to call John at ABC Realty. The reason is, the reason his sign is in that front yard is because he has a contract with the seller to get the best price for the seller. You need your own representation. If you call John and say, this is what I want to offer, I'm going to tell you nine times out of ten, he's going to say, you know what, they can't budge below full price. The reason being is not only is he under contract to do the best for his seller, but he's also going to get two paychecks. So he's going to want that as high as possible. Right, because he's not paying for your realtor because you don't have one. Absolutely. He's getting that other realtor fee. So always, always, always get your own representation. Your realtor is going to fight for your lowest price. John at ABC Realty is going to fight for the highest price. He can't do both. It's It's just not possible. You can't protect both people's interests. So always be your own advocate. Yeah, you can't. There's no way to be loyal to two different sides. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is a realtor and what should you be looking for in one? Okay, so a realtor is someone who is going to fight for your best interest. So what they're going to do is they're going to get into a contract with you to say, hey, this is what I'm going to provide you. And the outcome should be that you end up a happy homeowner. So what I would suggest look for in a realtor is communication. You want somebody who is going to pick up that phone. A lot of realtors don't work on the weekends, which is silly to me because most people work nine to five and they need to go out on the weekends to see houses. So let's say you find a house and you're calling about it and the people just aren't picking up. Maybe that's not someone that has time for you, frankly. Um, Ask your friends and family who they've used, who they had good experiences with, who they had bad experiences with, because guaranteed they will have some names for you. Um, You know, post on Facebook, say, hey, anybody here a realtor? You might not even know. It could be one of your good friends from college has become a realtor and, and you didn't even have any idea and you know that they're an honest, trustworthy person and you might want to give them your business. Mm-hmm. So I would say um, a lot of people kind of call the ads on the radio and they call billboards that they see. The only problem with this is that a lot of time 
if they have all that big money to spend, it's because they're getting a lot of clients. So I probably, if I was looking for a realtor, I probably wouldn't call the big name on the billboard because my thought is that if they have that much money to be putting towards the billboard, they're extremely busy. They're probably not going to give you the one-on-one attention that you need, especially as a first-time home buyer. The process is very scary. So you mentioned not calling the person on this sign. Uh, what if you go to an open house and the person inside isn't that person on the sign if it's somebody different? Okay. Well, let's say you go to an open house and Sandy's inside and she says, um, hey, I'm not representing uh, the seller. Um, chances are they're from the same company. So if they were both at ABC Realty, that's typically how that goes. They're only allowed to have other clients from other realtors from the same office do open houses. But as long as their name is not on the sign and you say, hey, are you representing the seller? And they say no, and you're not already under contract with another realtor, feel free to write up that offer. Mm -hmm. But definitely, if you already have a contract with somebody, you need to call them. Right. If you're already working with somebody, you you need to keep working with them. Unless you're unhappy, and then explain that to them and ask them to not be your realtor anymore. Otherwise, you could wind up down the road if you just kind of snuck off to another realtor and your old realtor finds out, they can come after you for damages. So if you are unhappy with your realtor, make sure you tell them you're unhappy, you want to be released, you're done with it. Communication works both ways. Absolutely. So let's say something comes up and you realize you need to get out of this contract. What's some common reasons that somebody might need to get out of a contract and what exactly do you do to get out of one? Okay. So that's a great question. Um, If you find a house that you think is cuter than the one that you've put a bid on, you will lose your earnest money. And that's just that, unfortunately. If you have had a home inspection with a licensed home inspector and you find something on that home inspection that just doesn't sit with you maybe we have asked the sellers to repair something or to give us an allowance to repair something and they just said no we're not doing that and you just absolutely cannot live with these repairs you can walk away and you can get your money back now if you bring your dad's best friend's girlfriend's cousin who one time used to work at a paint store to check out this house and they happen to find foundation damage, unfortunately, there is nothing we can do about that. Mm -hmm. That is not a licensed professional. Yeah, they're a biased party, basically. Exactly. Who's to say you didn't bring them because you just wanted out of the house to buy that cuter one? Exactly. So, we have to have a licensed home inspector to get you out of this contract. So, you know, that's where your upfront investment is really going to come back to benefit you in the end or like in Adrian's case saved him money and let him walk away Mm -hmm. very true Um, when it comes to like appraisals and financing let's say that there's an issue with either of those what happens with the contract at that that point well let's just say um, that when you start out your credit is perfect Um, we always tell people do not do not do not open new credit while you're purchasing a house. I'll say it again. Do not open new credit. I don't care if it's a $20 Victoria's Secret card. Don't do it. There is something called a debt to income ratio that your loan officer looks at. And basically, it's going to say, hey, they can afford this amount. When you throw on an extra credit charge, your amount drops, which could make you lose your house. So my friend, who's a realtor, is sitting at closing, waiting for her buyers, and they pull up in a brand new car. Oh. Now, let me tell you something. A car is going to massively change your debt-to-income ratio. Mm -hmm. So guess who didn't get a house? Yeah, if you can't qualify anymore, that's going to be an issue. And at that point, the sellers can sue you. Because think about it, they've already moved out of their house. They might have bought another house. This sale might be contingent on them closing this other house. They might be using this other house as a down payment for their house. This is a huge mess. Basically, when you sign that contract saying, I want this house, 
you need to stop doing everything for 30 days. Okay, 30, 45 days, whatever it takes to close it. You don't open anything. You only listen to your loan officer. They are your go-to person. I don't care if I tell you to do something. If your loan officer doesn't tell you to do it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll speak as somebody from the industry. It's somewhat common to see people when they're purchasing a house, they're excited, they want to go out and buy new furniture. If you want to pay cash for it and that cash is not something that's going to be needed anywhere in this purchase, then go ahead and do it. But if you are getting any type of loan, it doesn't have to be a car. It can be a furniture credit card and that can make that can keep you from getting this house. You can co-sign on someone else's loan and still mess up your credit. Yes, that's Even true. if your friend really needs a co-signer on an apartment, you can mess up your purchase because of that. The house is the most important thing at that time. If you want this house chill out and wait for the house and then buy the furniture and the car and co-sign for your cousin. Absolutely. Wait three days after you close your house. Wait three full business days before you start opening any new credit because it takes a few days for all of this to get reported. Mm -hmm. So I once had a client, we closed at 4 p.m. So you have to think there's no way this file was going to get to where it needed to be before tomorrow morning because, you know, it's 4 o'clock. It was a Friday. We were yeah, done. you're dealing with the government yeah. lenders who want to exactly. go Exactly. We're done. So she went to Rooms to Go and looked around. She did not purchase furniture, but they, at the door, they basically ran her credit. They said, hey, what's your name? Ran her credit. We had to get her loan officer to write a letter basically just saying, hey, she was just looking. She has no intention of purchasing. Um because you cannot you cannot go open new credit right after you've just told the government that you're about to spend all your money on this house. Right. So wait three days after you close before you do anything with your credit. So I can be indecisive sometimes, and whenever it comes to something like a house, that's a very major purchase. I like to ask others, hey, what do you think? Am I making a good decision? What do you suggest somebody buying a house? Like who should they show the house to or should they show it to anybody or what do you suggest? Okay. So from experience, we all love our parents, obviously. Um, But you have to keep in mind that when you bring mom and dad over, um, they have not been to the 20 other houses that we saw. Some were on the side of the road. Some had a flooded basement. And they want what's best for you. And so sometimes this house does not live up to their expectations, especially if mom and dad are in a $400,000 house and you're first starting out and you're buying an $85,000 house. They're going to say, oh, why are you getting this house? You know, so I would always suggest bringing your significant other because, you know, if that's the person that's involved with purchasing the house, that's the most important person. Your family is going to be excited when you say, hey, guess what? You know, come look at this. But a lot of family and friends think that it's kind of a used car thing. And the more problems they point out to us, the more we can, you know, get off the house. And that's not necessarily the truth. And so I find that too many people actually make this a pretty negative situation. And I've had multiple people walk away from houses because their parents didn't like it, even though they were absolutely head over heels in love with it. And then, you know, everyone leaves disappointed. And it's just, it's difficult. Another thing I would say, if you're in love with a house, you need to go visit that house in the rain and when it's nighttime and Friday when they're doing a block party because you want to see what you're getting into. You know, obviously, if the house is occupied, please don't be like creeping around Respect their privacy, privacy, but definitely drive by and make sure that like at five o'clock every day, there's not like a giant dog that just runs the neighborhood. And, you know, you you just want to check and make sure that everything looks as as it's being presented to you. I want to get the best price that I can on a house. Uh, What would you consider a lowball offer? What's something that comes up with that? Okay, so lowball offers are usually only appropriate with foreclosures and even then to a certain extent so if you have a hundred thousand i just want you to imagine that you own a hundred thousand dollar house and this is the house that you have had christmas dinners in and thanksgiving dinners and this house means a lot to you 
and I come up and say, mm, I'm only going to give you 50000 Like, first off, your first emotion is going to be anger because you're going to feel insulted. I've just insulted the work that you've put in. This was your first house. You've painted this. You've put in new faucets, new hardware, and I've just insulted you. So that, you know, that's a crazy low ball. But um, if you want to go in, what's what's typically a good idea is to go in maybe $10,000 less and ask them for your 6% of closing because you have to think, if you're going in 10000 less and you're asking for 6% of closing, you're taking about $16,000 off of their profit plus both realtor fees plus closing costs for them and whatever repairs you negotiate. So there's a lot of times when being a seller is actually not the best position to be in. Position to be in, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say I want to buy a foreclosure. What should I be looking at? Okay, so foreclosures are their own their own little beast, okay? So first things first, there is going to be a lot of paperwork, and just be prepared for that. Um, foreclosures typically take 45 days to close because we are buying this directly from the government. So a lot of times there's like a seller and a bank involved. When it's a foreclosure, there is no seller. The bank is the seller. The government is the seller. And what they're trying to do is get this off their books. So basically when something goes into foreclosure, the owners did not pay for the house. They, you, if you don't pay, you don't stay. And so the owners didn't pay. So the government said, you know what, we're going to take it back. And so at the end of the day, they have to recoup a certain amount. Um, typically, what we tell people is don't offer below 80%. They can typically get 80% and make it work for them. But that's not um, a rule, more of a general yeah more of a guideline it's not going to work every time in fact i've had people go above the price of foreclosures and still not get it it has a lot to do with how many repairs are needed and what neighborhood it's in Mm -hmm. so that's a valid point too with the repairs um certain loans will want a house that's in you know better shape it doesn't require as many issues it's more of a move-in ready home so if you're looking Mm -hmm. at foreclosures you might want to talk to your loan officer first and make sure that this house can pass the inspections and appraisals it needs to even qualify for this type of loan. Absolutely. VA loans are your most intricate loans. Doing a VA loan on a foreclosure would be an absolute nightmare because VAs have to have certain things. They have to have appliances. They have to have a stove. They have to have flooring. So if you're finding a gut job that doesn't have flooring, you're going to be in there installing flooring before you close on this house. And what happens if something happens and you don't close on this house? You've just spent $3,000 on flooring for a house you don't own. So yes, your loan type is very important when dealing with a foreclosure. What about when it comes to repairs with a foreclosure? You go into contract, you have the home inspected, an issue comes up. What happens next? How do you negotiate with the bank? Foreclosures are as is. They will not negotiate with you at all. Once you guys have that purchase price negotiated, maybe closing costs if they're feeling generous. And typically, they will only give 3% out of your 6% closing costs. Um, your loan officer can, in some situations, roll that cost onto your loan. Um, so you don't necessarily have to bring the 3%, but foreclosures, as is, they won't touch it. It doesn't matter if the roof is just missing. They don't care. Whenever you're looking at foreclosures, you have to keep in mind the bank does want this off their books, so they're not going to put any money into it that isn't required. If they're going to put $5,000 in repairs in this house, they expect to get $10,000 back. They don't want to just break even or make the house look cleaner. They'll do the bare minimum they can to get this house ready to sell and sold. And let me be honest, most foreclosure agents have never even stepped foot inside these houses. Mm -hmm. They hire realtors and the realtors go and put their sign in a lockbox outside. And so the government is usually not even aware of the situation that's going on inside these houses. So um, foreclosures are a gamble. You can get a heck of a deal or you can get a lemon. You know, that's where your inspections come in. You always need your inspections. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you think it's a good idea to buy a foreclosure or I bought a foreclosure. My mother bought a foreclosure. I've sold several foreclosures. Um, 
I paid $70,000 for my house. It was right after the crash of 2008. So don't think that you you guys can do this as well. Unfortunately, the market has gone up. Um, Interest rates have gone up. So things are different. We're not in 2008. But my house is in a $130,000 neighborhood. So the only thing that had to be done to my house were um, a few repairs. Like um, I think we had to replace a toilet. Um, A water heater element had gone out. So some things like that. Um, basically the government goes by the health, safety, and welfare law, which is that this house has to be in livable condition. Um, they're not going to sell you something that is just destroyed. I mean, unless you're an investor, they'll, they'll do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, I mean, if you're using a certain type of loan, which my loan, the house was in good enough shape to do it. And I used a government loan. But a lot of these loans, they're going to want you to have either a conventional loan or cash. So if you call your realtor and say, I'm in love with this house, it needs $50,000 worth of work, and they say, hey, I can't make this work with your financing, they're being honest with you. There are certain houses that will only go cash and conventional. It's just because of the safety issue with the property. The government does not want to insure it. Right. That's correct. They, they want to make sure you're buying a house that is safe. Because you don't want – they don't want to take on the liability of selling a house to some – or financing a house to somebody that has a deep issue that causes you know injury or worse to happen. How do you know when you've come across a house that might be a really good deal? Um, listen to your realtor for sure. I have had I'll, – I'll tell you this. I had a friend, a personal friend of mine. He was in love with this house, and it was gorgeous. The bank wanted 120000 for it. It was a foreclosure. It was in as-is condition. I begged him. I said, please, let's just go full price. And, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm just here for advice. You have to make the decision. You have to decide what you want to pay and how much you want to ask for. I'm just here to guide you. And he said, you know, I'm not comfortable spending 120 Well, he didn't get the house because he went too low. And a couple months later, he ended up buying a house for $150,000. And it was his second choice. So not only did he lose his first option, but he actually paid more by not paying a little bit more up front. He thought 120 was just absolutely insane. And then two months later, he's spending an extra $30,000 on a house that he wasn't even as in love with as the first one. So if this is a house that you're in love with and you're going to die if you don't have this, <laughs> you better do whatever it takes to get it. Go above your purchase price. Mm-hmm. You know, ask your loan officer to roll in your closing costs so you're not asking for them. There's a whole bunch of things you can do. You can tell them you want it in as-is condition. Um, that's for regular houses. All foreclosures are as-is condition. But, you know, just general general things. Go higher if you, if you want it and this is it. Make it happen. That actually brings up a good story for myself. Um, I bought my house about four years ago. And we looked at 20, 30 houses before we picked this one. We got into contract on one, decided to pull away from that one. There were too many issues with that particular house. At the time, we bought the right house, but uh, you need to be aware that you're purchasing something that you will be living in for many years. It's not cheap to just – it's not economical to buy a house and sell it a year or two later. You have to buy something for the long haul. As time's gone on, I actually realized one house that we looked at at that time in uh, 2013, it was similar to our house. It was about the same price. It actually had a basement that was finished, but it was in need of some updates that the house I own didn't need. It needed some new carpet, some new paint, mostly cosmetic stuff overall, but it just it gave off a vibe I wasn't feeling at the time. And as I've gotten older and realized, hey, my needs are different. I thought I could live with a house with a smaller kitchen. I want a bigger one or I want more space or a fenced yard or something. I've thought about that house more than a few times. Mm-hmm. You, you need to think beyond what you want today. What do you want tomorrow and next year and the year after? You're, you're buying a house. You're buying something more permanent than just a rental. Absolutely. And sizing is a 
good point. You need to make sure that this house is going to fit. Maybe you have an elderly parent who needs to move in. Maybe you have a friend who comes in out of town and they like to sleep on your couch or your guest bedroom. Maybe you have a home office and you see clients in that. You definitely need to not look at the does this have granite? Does this have hardwoods? You need to look at the bone. See if this is something that's going to work with you. You can always get granite. You can always get hardwood. But you cannot, for a good, cheap price, add square footage to your house. Right. So even if you find you know a really great size house, but it needs, it's got ugly carpet and ugly paint, those are things you can fix. If it's in the perfect neighborhood... I would choose the older, outdated one every single time because then also you get to update it to your taste. That's true. So, you know, you can remodel to your specifications. It might look nice, but no matter what somebody has done in their house, you're going to walk through and not like a few items that they've done. So you want to make it yours. Mm -hmm. So this is something, it's more of a pet peeve of mine than anything else, but I want to get your take on it. What about houses that have been clearly purchased by an investor and they've done some work to it? Maybe they bought it as a foreclosure and now they've put some money into it and they're selling it at a higher price. What do you think of those? Okay. Well, investors are tricky. There are some really professional investors that use, you know, really reliable contracted groups. And there are some people that just have some handymans kind of come in and slap paint around. Um, first of all, get a home inspection. That's where you're going to find out. Your home inspector is going to say, hey, they cut corners here and here, and they can see that. Um, also, you know, just just being visual, just looking around at the house, do things look sloppy? Because if they're sloppy with the backsplash, there's a good chance they were sloppy with redoing the plumbing. So just just basically keep that in mind. And Ask someone's opinion. Your realtor, we see these houses every single day. We do this every day. This is our job. If you ask my opinion and you say, is this a cheap flip? I will tell you, yes, this looks cheap to me. So, you know, really trust your realtor. They are there to help you. So if somebody's wanting to uh, sell their house, they're debating on selling their house, what should they be thinking about to get their house ready for the market or to sell? Okay, so good question. Um, First of all, what I would do is always call your realtor first. (laughs) That's a little plug for me. Okay, so this is what your realtor can offer you. What they can do is they will run all of the recent sales around you. And basically, they can tell you, hey, you know, your neighborhood has made a profit this year. Your neighborhood has lost because of this one foreclosure, things like that. So let's say you have... $150,000 $150,000 house and your realtor comes back and says, hey, guess what? Your neighborhood is selling for $200,000. This is a service I offer to my sellers. But um, since I have my degree in interior design, what I like to do is come through and help them get it staged. I like to help them declutter. Um, you want to make this someone else's house. I know that it's your house, but someone else needs to be able to see their family here. So one of the number one things is take all of your stuff off your refrigerator, you know, your kids' drawings and magnets and things like that. It's really cluttered. Another thing is if your house is just covered in family photos, your wedding and your birth of your child, you know, take those things down, put those down, make your house neutral. You know, if you have a hot pink bedroom, that might not sell to everyone. It might be worth a couple, you know, clearance paint jugs at Lowe's to cover it up. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do is basically tone down you and make it more about someone else. Okay. Are there any kind of updates that you would suggest or that you see people probably should be doing whenever they're putting their house up for sale? So I actually read an article about updates the other day. Um, we have always been told kitchens and bathrooms are your, you know, your bread and butter on updates. Mm -hmm. But this new article that I was reading said most people want a finished basement because it it adds square footage. So let's say I have a 2,000 square foot house, but I have a 13 square foot basement. If it's unfinished, I can't even tell you about that. I can't include that in the square footage. And most of these people are going to go to Zillow and Trulia and things like that. And you can search by square footage. So let's say I have to have 
3,000 square foot for my family. Yours is only going to show up as 2,000 in my search. When you say that you can't, li- you can't include that, you mean like you're, you're barred from including it since it's not livable space? Yes, I can – absolutely. Sorry to clarify. I cannot include that on the MLS as livable space because it's not finished. So, but now if that had heating and air to it and if it had walls and flooring, we could absolutely include that. So why wouldn't you spend a little bit of extra money to possibly double what your house sells for? So another point, um, let's say you buy a house in a $150,000 neighborhood. Do not make your house a $250,000 house. You will not get your money out of it. So, you know, you need to know what your limit is. If you have a starter home, you need to kind of keep within the parameters of what your neighborhood is doing. Yeah, that's a common thing I see a lot in the mortgage side is people overbuilding a home. They Like the reason why it's an issue is you will have this house that looks great. Maybe they're asking $300,000 for it. It has stone countertops everywhere and beautiful lighting and a five-car garage they've built on with an in-ground pool and a hot tub and everything's just perfect about this house but that $300,000 house is sitting in a $200,000 neighborhood when the appraiser goes and checks it although it is a great house it's sitting in a neighborhood with houses worth $100,000 less so they'll adjust a little bit for the the upgrades that have been done to it but it's never going to be 300000 you may find that it appraises at two fourteen. So what is the worst house that you've ever seen or that you've ever shown somebody? Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, um, when my husband and I were actually buying our own house, I was selling us our own house. We had just started looking. Mm -hmm. And we walk in and it's like a split foyer. So we go upstairs and the upstairs is really nice, but my throat's getting kind of scratchy. And I'm like, hmm, it's kind of weird, but whatever. We continue on. So we go downstairs and the basement is full of black mold. And I mean black mold everywhere. Oh. Ceiling, walls. I mean, we should have had hazmat suits to be in this place. And no one had told us this. And uh, my mom and my husband and I all got sick. And we were only in that house for about 15 minutes. And 14 of those minutes were upstairs. Wow. But, you know, it just shows you... Uh, there's a lot of sometimes you can walk into some bad situations <laughs> gotcha okay well what is the best house you've ever seen okay so i would say this is probably the best property that i've ever been to and the reason i liked it is because it was really cozy but basically it had a couple acres and it had a house and then it had a barn And it had a guest house. And then it had a garage with another guest house. And so it was just kind of like you could imagine all your friends just kind of like spending the weekends there. And like your family coming up. And it had like a fire pit with like six swings around it. And it had horses. And I just thought, you know, this is really cool and relaxing. and nice. Cool vacation house, I thought. Okay. So where can the people find you online? On Facebook or social media or anything? Okay. So um, come on over to Pinner Realty Team at Facebook.com. We are opening our own firm, and so we will be having some new websites come up. I will send those to Adrienne. And- All right, I'll put it in the show notes once we have those up so you yeah. can find her there. Well, it was lovely to have you here. I'm glad that you took a few minutes to sit down with us and hopefully teach somebody something they didn't know about buying and selling a house. Yeah, thank you for letting me talk your ear off. Bye, guys. A special thanks again to Jessica Kershaw of Close to Home Realty Group. I do want to go ahead and clarify also that Cash Talk was not compensated and has not received any gifts or monetary contributions from Jessica or her real estate company for today's conversation. I just brought her on to help you all out. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe to this show so you can get the latest episodes as they come out. Also, please rate us on any of the podcasting websites that you found us on. The better the rating, the more likely we are to show up for new listeners. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Cash Talk Podcast. And you can find today's episode along with any others and all our latest information at manversuscash.com forward slash cash talk. Talk to you next week. Bye. Although we are self-titled money experts, everything you hear is for general education and entertainment purposes only. Before you make any financial moves, you really should consult with an industry professional. We aren't on the clock, so neither of us are speaking as a representative of any company or organization. Bye.